Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you all today. I, I did feel yesterday, Elaine had set me a task yesterday afternoon of some father-daughter bonding to build a rabbit run for the new rabbits that the kids have got. And working outside in the afternoon, did feel that like spring might be just here. A bit of warmth and the sunshine this morning. Even a window open in church this morning. So lovely to feel that, that the darkness of winter, the light of spring and, 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 and the new year of, of warmth and joy is with us. It's always a daunting thing when you've been asked to, to lead the service in, on a Sunday morning, knowing where I know some people are, spiritually, physically, with health, problems at home. And then I know there are lots of things in people's minds that I'm not aware of. And yet we've come here this morning together, to be together, to be and meet with our Father the Lord Jesus Christ, with, with all sorts of different needs. To read the Bible together, to pray, to seek help, to be inspired a bit more, to be uplifted, just to seek God's presence, to have some quiet reflection, maybe an element of restoration, maybe because we feel we, we just have to be here. And Malcolm Godwin is going to talk to us about some of the importance of God's word to us this morning. So we're going to start by singing together um, from the, uh, the green hymn book, um, hymn number 183. It talks to us about God's word as a lamp to our light, a comfort to our heart, to feed richly on God's word this morning together. That the weaknesses that we have can be helped that God will and does shine on our face and, and that God's word is there as a guide through the good and the bad times of our lives. Father, thank you for letting us come together this morning. Thank you for calling us to be here. Father, we're going to think this morning about your word. It's a book, a life, a source of energy we can at times take so much for granted. Father, help us to be inspired. Help us to have a renewed energy, to have that fire in our hearts, to be washed again by the renewing of the things that we read and think about in our minds that sink into our hearts from your word, from the things that we sing together from the prayers, from the, the thoughts you plant in us. Father, inspire us, encourage us, correct us, lead us. Not just those who are here, Father, but those who aren't here, those who we miss. For whatever reason, we pray you will inspire them in their faith, in their walk too. Amen. Charles has got some announcements for us. Uh, as Marcus said, a warm and sunny welcome to you all. It's good to see you all. And it's great to see Gary and Althea and Jeff with us today. We've heard that Des and Phoebe have had a tough time lately. Um, Des has struggled with his job and has been off sick with stress. 
They're thankful that they've been offered a new job <clears throat> nearer to Chris and Debbie, and this means that they now need to move house. And so we pray that God will be close to them through the move and this time change. Mike Hardy is home from hospital and making good progress, although he and Sue are very tired. Gladys <coughs> doesn't feel well enough to come today. Um, we think of her. Marion has been visited in the week and is continuing to struggle, but she does remain cheerful. Ian's been quite down lately. And we continue to remember him. And we think of uh, Wan and Rob as they await upcoming operations. Thank you. Before I, before I pray, is there anybody else, anything else people would like us to, to pray about together? Stay seated, let's uh, pray together. Abba, Father, we thank you that you are an ever-present Father, that you remain with us through the good times, through the bad times. We thank you that you've been able to bring some comfort to Mike and Sue to come home from hospital. We pray you will continue to be a healing force and a guide to their lives as, as they are people who inspire others greatly, Father, with the way your word touches their hearts and allows them to touch other people's hearts with your word. We think about Des and Phoebe, we've not seen for a little while. And we know you've been working in their lives too, and we pray that you will help them cope with the the rigours of young children and jobs and moving and all the stresses and the strains that puts on relationships and, and health. Think about those who are also struggling at, at work and the impact that that brings on on life. And we pray, Father, that you will give direction, clear direction and, and support and help those who are helping be able to say and and be the right people that you need us to be to help. We know those who are struggling physically, and we, we think about Marion and Ian and Gladys a lot, Lord, and, and Mike too, as he continues to recover and recuperate some time after the things that happened to Mike. We know those who are anticipating operations and, and, and health issues and we think about Juan and, and Rob that you will be with them that they can put their faith and their trust in you and not in the princes of this world that we, we, we pray that your will will be done through them and that that will be a good and a pleasing and positive thing that we can rejoice in we think about those who are struggling spiritually Father as well, that some are here, some who are not here. We pray for a blessing on them that they can soon be brought back to us and that we can be your 
hands and your ears and your eyes and your your feet to to support and encourage them in love and in prayer and in deed. Father, we know we can run around sometimes like headless chickens, being busy, busy, doing lots of things. Sometimes, Father, we forget to do the simple things, just turning to you and, and being with you. So help us, Father, as we live out our Christian lives this week, that you will help us to keep the right perspective, the right balance in our lives. That you will frustrate us when we're trying to do things which are not in your will, and that you will give us a real clear direction when there is something you want us to do. Even if we're not that bothered or don't want to do it, that you will be that fire in our hearts to inspire us to, to do your good and pleasing will. Forgive us, Father, for we know we're just frail and fragile bits of dust in your sight. And we thank you for your grace being upon us. Amen. Liz is going to read for us this morning from Psalm 119. And and Malcolm's been quite merciful and uh, just says she only has to read the first 180 verses. (laughs) She's going to read the first 40 verses for us this morning. Thank you, Liz. Psalm 119. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Do good to your servants and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt. For I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counsellors. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. 
Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servants so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. You know, the, the whole of Scripture is there, really, to, in the Old Testament, to point forward to Jesus Christ, the foundation, the cornerstone of, of our lives, the, the fulfilment of all God's promises to us. The foundation, the cornerstone, it's he who, who binds us together as as a church in one. So our hymn together is uh, from Praise the Lord number 19. And we don't sing this very often, but it's one of my favourite hymns in terms of the, the words it talks to us about. Particularly verse 2, that you know, we implore you, Lord, to come among us today with your gracious loving kindness. Hear, hear us as we pray and, and the fullness of, of God's blessings to us in, in Christ. Display that in our fellowship together, all the things that, that Jesus is, all the blessings that, it, that he has can be displayed in the fellowship that we share together. Malcolm, it's my privilege and joy to ask you to come and uh, exhort us this morning. Good morning everybody, lovely to be with you on this lovely sunny morning. I'm very glad that um, David and uh, Sue Brighouse are uh, here with us this um, this morning. I did give them this little warning about this start to my exhortation. Um, David and Sue used to um, have a dog called Watson. Uh, and when the uh, the Storer family uh, visited uh, David and Sue, we were told that uh, uh, Watson was a dog uh, of little brain. And he certainly loved to 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 rump and to romp and to run. And I think uh, living in the, in the Lake District uh, was uh, a dog's dream come true uh, for Watson. Lots of wide open spaces, uh, few cars, few fences, plenty of stuff to sniff, and trees to wet, and crevices to explore. But Dave uh, always made it clear to Watson that he must stay close to him uh, as he was well aware how 
rabbits might entice or there might even be a seductive poodle on the path. And he wanted Watson to uh, heed his voice and stay with him. And he yelped as if to say he always would. But did he? Did he? No. Worse still, uh, Dave had passed on this particular occasion the lead to my daughter Faith, who was about six, I think, at the time. And suddenly Watson spotted something he wanted to investigate. And off he scooted, pulling Faith like a toy in his wake until he had until she had to drop the lead Watson Dave shouted come back he stopped and looked back at Dave Watson come here cried Dave but Watson was in a moral dilemma (laughs) on one side was Sodom and Gomorrah come on Watson voices were saying to him We'll have some fun. To the other, he heard the voice of his wise master. Come here, Watson. Well, he looked Dave's way, and then a way, and then Dave's way, and then a way. And in a flash, he was gone and heading for the stream. When we got to him, there he was, shaking the cold water off his back from the stream, trembling. I walked up to him with Dave, and I'm sure he looked at me, and I'm sure he said, Someday, go on, Malcolm, use me as an excitation illustration. (laughs) I'm sure he said that. He said, I entered the, the promised land but I I neglected the voice of my master. But I think the illustration does fit my excitation today. God was concerned for a man called Joshua. Would you just turn in your Bibles to um, Joshua chapter (coughs) 1? He was concerned that his people would enter the promised land and not forget his voice. Canaan was full of new sounds, new people, new temptations. Hence this promised land caution in Joshua chapter 1. And God said it like this in Joshua chapter 1. And if you just have a look at verse verse 7. The Lord said, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Remember just the context. God is calling Joshua to lead two million people into Canaan. He's equipping this general for the mission of a lifetime. And what does God give Joshua? Well, he gives him two gifts, the presence of God and the word of God. God will not lead Joshua to fight alone. God will fight for him. And also, Joshua will not walk alone. 
God will speak to him. And that's really my message to you today. Like you and me, Joshua had the the writings of Moses which were carried in the the Ark of the Covenant. But that it wasn't enough for Joshua to possess just the scripture. God wanted scripture to possess Joshua. Three points from verses 7 and 8. First of all, elevate the word. First of all, elevate the word. Keep the book of the law, it says, always on your lips. That's just interesting, isn't it? Why did it say mouth? Why not brain or heart? Well, what's, what's our mouths used for? The function of the mouth is primarily chewing and speaking, isn't it? God's call to Joshua and to any promised land dweller is to chew on and speak the word of God. Chew on it, meditate on it, God said, day and night. And I think the Hebrew term here literally means you shall mutter over the Torah. Talk it out, chew on it, think about it. The the image is one of reciting, rehearsing, reconsidering, meditating on God's word over and over again. Speak it, recite it, refer to its teaching, discuss it, rely on its wisdom, encourage others with the scripture, speak it to yourself, speak it into your problems, be one who declares God's word. It's a lovely little verse in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 that says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's what Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 16. And as we read, as Liz read for us in Psalm 119, in verse 14 it said, Let us rejoice in following your statutes. As one rejoices in great riches, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. You see, Canaan is is loud with enemy, enemy voices. And once you cross the Jordan out of the wilderness into Canaan, we we face the voices of temptation. And I think a key to the Christian living is let God's word be the authoritative word in your life. Let God's word be the authoritative word in your life. You know, one of my my colleagues um, heads up our uh, accounts team, a chap called... Simon Atkinson is a trained pilot. It's quite unusual for an accountant to be a trained pilot. And he told me that that when he was uh, learning to fly, his teacher wanted to teach him to trust the the instrument panel. And his teacher told uh, Simon that storms and fog can distort the perspective uh, of the pilot. He may think he's flying safely when he's actually descending towards the earth. And just to prove his point, the teacher took uh, Simon up in the air and put visors beneath, uh, beneath his eyes. 
so that the only thing that he could see was the instrument panel, and he had to trust it. And the teacher then uh, rocked and rolled the plane so that Simon was, was dizzy, and he just lost his, his equilibrium. He didn't know whether he was upside down or not. And then he passed the controls uh, of the plane over to Simon. Now, my friend tried to fly the plane without looking at the instrument panel. And he thought he'd got the plane levelled out. And then he looked at the instrument panel and realised that he was doing a nosedive right towards the ground. His instinct said, I've got the plane levelled out. The instrument panel said something else. Which should he trust? His instinct or the instrument panel? Which do you trust? Your instinct or God's instrument panel? God's instrument panel. This wonderful book. Circumstances and struggles bounce us around, don't they? And our perspectives can, can get distorted. In moments of, of disorientation, we have to make a decision. Whose voice or voices are we going to hear? Scripture or instinct? Now you need to, to know, to rely on scripture places you in the, in the minority, if you didn't already know, uh, in our society. We live in a culture, don't we, that trusts everything uh, except the authority of God. We perhaps uh, trust the authority of democracy, the authority of TV shows. We trust the, every authority, maybe, except the authority of the Bible. Yet scripture repeatedly calls us back to make scripture the definitive voice in our lives. We're, we're not the first people called to heed a different voice in a very pluralistic society. A, a classic case of this uh, is the Apostle Paul, who was talking to um, the young Timothy, who lived in the uh, city of Ephesus, famous for its uh, competing philosophies, where so many uh, ideas would be uh, been battling his attention. In the midst of it all, the Apostle Paul said this to Timothy. Just have a quick look in 2 Timothy In Second Timothy, and if we just have a, have a little look at that, we read these words. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. What a remarkable statement. So all scripture is God-breathed or God-exhaled. That is, it is written in scripture originated in the very being of God as oxygen would come from your lungs. This separates the Bible, doesn't it, from any other book that's ever been written. What a remarkable claim. What a remarkable book that we can all read. The Bible is remarkable 
in composition. It's composed, it was composed over 16 centuries by 40 authors, written by soldiers, shepherds, farmers, fishermen, begun by Moses in lonely Arabia, finished by John on lonely Patmos, penned by kings in palaces, shepherds in tents, prisoners in prison. Was it possible for 40 writers, unknown to each other, writing three different languages in different countries to produce a book of singular theme, unless there was behind it a mind and one designer? The Bible is remarkable too in durability. It's the single most published book in history. The top seller, just hold on to this, for 300 years. The top seller for 300 years. 1,200 languages. It survived bans and burnings and outlived every one of its opponents. The death knell of the Bible has been played a thousand times, but God's word continues. The Bible is remarkable in prophecy. The pages of your Bible contain over 300 fulfilled prophecies about the life of Jesus Christ. In other words, a substantial biography of Jesus was written 500 years before he was born. Can you imagine something similar occurring today? Imagine if we found a book that was written in, say, 1900, that prophesied two world wars, the Great Depression, the invention of the nuclear bomb, and man landing on the moon. What would we think about that book? Wouldn't we trust it? The Bible has, has earned our trust. I guess the biggest test of the Bible is, does it work? Does it work? The Apostle Paul says it's useful for teaching, for showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, and for teaching people how to live life. This is the greatest test of Scripture. Does it work? The test of practicality. Do the teachings of the Bible make, make a difference? Well, there's only one way, really, to find that out, and that is integrate the word. Integrate the word. Not only do we elevate the word, we integrate it. We click the save button on the Bible. How many of you know what a save button is? I'm sure we all do, don't we? I love the save button. I really love the save button. I just love clicking the save button on my computer. Because I know that once I do, what I've done goes deep down. It goes from being temporary to permanent. It literally alters the landscape of my hard drive. And the words on the, on the screen descend deep down into the bowels of my computer. They take up permanent residence. As long as they're just on the screen, we know that, that, that little thing called a cursor that we curse can come along and gobble them up. 
But once we click the save button, you've got it. You've got it. Folks, are you clicking the save button on God's word? Are you allowing it to descend into your heart, to change your life? You know that you've clicked the save button on scripture when God's word has an impact on your emotions, on your decisions, and your actions. On your emotions, on your decisions, and your actions. So are you clicking that save button? It's possible that you've never clicked the save button. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's when the truth is deposited within us, that's when freedom happens. When you used to feel this way, because God's word said that you feel this way, when you used to do this, but because God's word says this, you do that. There's an example of this in, in, the, in the New Testament, uh, an occasion when Jesus told his followers uh, to board a boat and go with him across the, the Sea of Galilee. And it's in, in Mark chapter 4. Just have a little look in, uh, in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and just going in at verse 35. And Jesus said, he said, uh, let us go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's in verse 35. And on the way um, to the other side, a furious squall came up, and waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. That's what we read about in verse 37. Buckets of water fell from the sky and threatened to overturn the boat. And then in verse 38 we read, The disciples looked over at Jesus, found that he was asleep, and said, Don't you care if we drown? And Jesus woke up, stood up, commanded the storm to shut up, and then he said to the disciples, Do you still have no faith? How do we justify such a stern rebuke from Jesus? I mean, who wouldn't be afraid? They were fishermen who knew what the Sea of Galilee could do. Why did Jesus scold them for being afraid? I think it's simply this. They didn't take him at his word. What was his word? We're going over to the other side. He didn't say, we're going over going into the middle to drown, (laughs) did he? He said, we're going over to the other side. And then he went to sleep. He proclaimed it, and that was his word. And just as with his father's word, our Lord's word happens. When the storm came, what did the disciples do? They heard the noise of the storm, and they forgot the word of the Saviour. They didn't click the save button. You know what I'm going to ask you, don't you? When the storms come in your life, what voices come at you with authority? Are you hearing the storm or are you hearing the saviour? 
our Lord Jesus Christ that we've come to remember this morning. Are you hearing the problems or are you hearing the Prince of Peace? Are you hearing the crisis or are you hearing the Christ? What voice right now has the authority in your life? You see, the promised land life boils down to taking God at his word. That means that the Bible, this wonderful book, this book here, is the single most important tool of spiritual growth. This means that the Bible is the single most important tool in leading people out of the wilderness into the promised land. The key to spiritual growth is not just involvement in spiritual activities. People don't grow because they're busy in church. They grow, but growth happens when they read and trust their Bible. As one writer put it, nothing has greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on scripture. If churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity, growth in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire and encourage and equip their people to read the Bible. It's all right here. It's all right here. And what God gave to Joshua, God has given to us, a Bible. And he gave him this command, do everything written in it. That's what God's, that was what God's command was. Remember to a commander. He was an undisputed general of the Hebrew people. Yet even he was called to live in submission to a higher authority. Not to make laws, but to apply laws. Not to create a new philosophies, but to understand God's philosophy. God's word to him was God's word to us. Open God's word. And if you do, and when you do, then lastly you can anticipate a reward. God says, then you will be prosperous and successful. This is the only time in the Old Testament that the words prosperous and success share the same sentence. That is what is called an emphasised promise, to make a point. When you study God's word, good things happen. Align yourself with God's word, and you can expect prosperity and success. Now, we might cringe at that statement, and a statement like that, because we tend to associate prosperity with money. Well, God does bless his children with success. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes, though, the the Bible uses prosperity and success in terms of emotions. 